is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. Jeff Meller, along with Brian Hanley, hanging out with you till 11 o'clock today on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Cubs get a win, so I think they have their fan base a little bit confused. The White Sox do what the White Sox have done all season long, and the Bears report to training camp this week. Brian, the baseball teams have gotten us close enough to football season where we can start to turn our attention to the Bears. We'll do that a little bit later today, but... I do want to start with both our baseball teams in town because uh, they have a big week ahead of them as the trading deadline will occur on, will actually come and go on August 1st. So lots to do here for both teams. And the question is, I think, with the Cubs, you know, Cody Bellinger is en fuego, my man, and he is doing everything he can to boost his value at the trade deadline. And I think the Cubs fans are probably wondering to themselves, hey, should we uh, allow ourselves to maybe be uh, be fooled and dream on the possibility of making a run here? Well, I think you know you know how I, you know where I stand on this because even though God bless Jesse last week told us the Cubs are are going to wait right to the bitter end of the August one trade deadline and they're in full legit wait mode and and we talked about it last week mm-hmm. I said it's delusional on either side of town it just it just is I mean. You know, the Cubs can sit there and look, well, they're six and four in their last 10, and they won yesterday, and, and great, and it's always good to beat the Cardinals. But, you know, they're six back of the wild card. Um, I, you know, the division theoretically is still there for the taking, but you, you need to be going eight and two against these teams, not six and four, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, they can be in full weight mode, and, and Cody Bellinger, to my way of thinking, will be moved and. Marcus Stroman, not so good the last time out, but you know, I I asked the question last week. What are you waiting for? I mm-hmm. mean, he can get hurt, he can get bad in the last couple starts, and, and we can go into Marcus Stroman numbers and, and really what type of pitcher he is and a ground ball pitcher and all that. And so, what is his value with uh, with him opting out most likely at the end of the season? Um, but if he gets hurt, whether with the Cubs or with you know, now Tampa supposedly checking in on Marcus Stroman. Then all of a sudden he just picks up that option, right? Uh, he doesn't test free agency. So a lot can happen between now and August 1st. That, that's my point. Mm-hmm. Th- this whole idea that that both to- both teams, because of their d- respective divisions, are still in the same. Again, the word is delusional. Yes. And, and, and they're not and they won't be a playoff team. And I think it's clear to pretty one, pretty much anyone who just doesn't bleed cubby blue or, you know, silver and black. Um, it, it's just time. It's time to start figuring out how you get better and sooner, better than later and, and figure out what you're going to look like next year and moving forward. Cody Bellinger played the role of hero on Friday. He did so again yesterday, driving in four runs. This is what it sounded like on marquee yesterday. Beautiful day here at the ballpark. A little muggy. Oh, said. It's all going Belly's way right now. 3-2. All loaded up. Here comes. Base hit right field. Tuckman in. Porter on his heels. Headed to 
Southpaw has him out in front, hands stay back, he fights, he fights, he fights. He ultimately is able to pull this ball through the hall between first and second. Just spectacular work by Cody Bellinger. And the Cubs take the lead. Does uh, seem a too little too late, unfortunately, for the Cubs because, as you pointed out, they're seven and a half game back in the NL Central, and you know the the wild card seems like a pipe dream as well. Oh, if absolutely. anything, it yeah. certainly feels like if they're if they're going to do anything, it would be to somehow, some way, yeah, win the division and get there. Bellinger's been, ex- you know, when he's been on the field, he had that obviously that uh, injured list stint where he did hurt his knee, so he did miss, you know, about a month there. But he has been excellent when he's been on the field. He has now raised his OPS to nine ten. And, and, Brian, I always like to go to OPS. If you're just picking one offensive stat, right, like that is a nice, tidy number that will encapsulate a lot of your best players in the league. You just look at the OPS and you look at the OPS leaders across baseball and Shohei Otani's first with 1065. Freddie Freeman's second, 993. Acuna's 986 third. Betts is 950. Olsen is 940. Juan Soto is 928. And then Cody Bellinger, who doesn't quite qualify because of the at-bats, but if he stays healthy, he will at the end of the season, is seventh in baseball with an OPS of 9-10. He's been, you know, more than the Cubs ever could have dreamed Absolutely. he would be. You know, he's figured it out. And he's a strange case, too, because, you know, I, he, you know, I, I know Cap was saying, hey, you know, figure it out, get a deal done. But as a Scott Boris client, we know this was always the plan for what they wanted to do. They signed a one-year deal in a place they thought they could have some success, and he's clearly followed through and done it. And as a left-handed hitter, you know, a middle-of-the-order left-handed hitter who can play gold-glove caliber center field but also has the flexibility to play first base when you need him to, he's going to be extraordinarily valuable on the free agent market. And, you know, I don't even know what number... If, if the Cubs had the appetite to do so, I don't know what number at what, you know, at how many years would be palatable for Scott Boris and Cody Bellinger to sign up for because Brandon Nimmo signed an eight year, $162 million contract this previous offseason, plays center field, and, you know, his highs have never been anywhere near what Cody Bellinger has done. And, and even Brandon Nimmo's best season hasn't been as good as this season for Cody Bellinger. So the starting point for me is eight years, $163 million. If I'm Scott Boris and I'm advising Cody Bellinger, and I don't know if I'm a team getting, you know, who says I want to sign up with Cody Bellinger for a long-term deal. I do have some reservations about what, what, what wrong in between his MVP season and this year, right? Like, so I don't know if even he's, he's proven this year that he seems to have figured it out, but, what convinces you that he should be the guy that you lock up so much money to? We just lived the Jason Hayward experience here in the city. Yeah, I look, I don't, you know, the Cubs, I think it's fantasy baseball. If you think that they're going to pony up and they're not even talking to Stroman about extension, mm-hmm. they rarely talk to anyone during the season. Uh, you know, Ian Happ got the job done, but with those numbers you're just uh, putting out there and they're legit. I mean, if I'm a baseball executive and this is a prove it year for him and he's more than proving it, and you mentioned left-handed power, yeah. I mean, that just isn't – you don't find that on the street. It's the hardest thing, you know, obviously pitching, right. of course, but, like, it, when you're looking for, uh, you know, a, w- filling out your lineup, uh, middle-of-the-order left-handed pop is probably the yeah. – who can also hit left-handers? Well, I mean, it's unbelievable. But I, that all that said mm-hmm. – I would be eight years. I would be very leery. I'd be looking about half of that. If if I had to juice the money a little bit, 
I, I and first of all, you know, they're going to want the the player opt out uh, two course. years into whatever if it's a four, five, six, eight year contract, right? Yep. They're, Scott Boris is going to want the player to have the flexibility because that's just the way it's done these days. But I couldn't tie him up to eight years because of the injuries, because of like you said, what happened in those two years. It's great that it's all come together for him and the Cubs to this point, but the Cubs still find themselves with about a 10% chance to win the division, even though the division isn't all that. So I, I would be very leery to be talking eight years and 175 or whatever the numbers are. Uh, I'd be looking about half the years and, and you know, and Scott Boris probably wouldn't want to have that conversation. Yeah, so, it, you know, that's where the Cubs cur- certainly currently sit with him. And it's just a situation where, you know, if you – you know, want to talk about the idea of, you know, signing him up long term. It just you're not living in reality because, again, I, I don't think it's a great move for the team who's going to lock him up, too, because there is some uncertainty surrounding him. But, yeah, Scott Boris, he's the best agent in baseball for a reason. He usually gets his clients somewhere close to what they're looking for. And it's always, you know, advantageous to them. As you mentioned, those opt outs, you know, you see it, you know, across baseball that, you know, you know, I know Boris is not his agent, but Manny Machado, you know, just showed you in San Diego exactly, you know, how you play that to your full advantage. And then you, uh, you sign one $300 million deal and then you opt out four or five years later and lock yourself up into another $300 million deal. And, uh, you know, you laugh all the way to the bank. Meanwhile, you know, if you're the Cubs and you're looking at this, you're saying, okay, well, we're seven and a half out. Yeah, we've got the best run dif- differential in baseball, but it's too little too late at this point. You said, you know, you needed to go eight and two this week. And even then, everything is, it's delusional, right? Like if they had gone eight and two, which is just, you know, two more wins this previous week. Well, ultimately, isn't it foolish to say, okay, it took us this long to get to this point. Sure, maybe they've had some poor luck, you know, in these one-run games, and that's part of the reason why. But part of the reason why they, you know, I think they've struggled in one-run games, not just not just the bullpen, Bry, but also the fact that hey, when you lack power across your lineup, you don't have an opportunity to win some of those laughers, you know. So you're more susceptible in those close games because you don't have a lineup full of you know big boppers who can actually go out and make things easy on you. So the Cubs, the way their lineup is constructed, you know, I. They're a good baseball team, I think, fundamentally, and they do a lot of things that you like. But the reality is they're still missing, you know, some of those core middle of the order hitters, I think, that you need to build around that if you're going to truly be successful in baseball. Well, the the, the numbers show that they have the best shortstop play, I think, in certainly in National League, if not all baseball. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, with Dansby Swanson coming back, you know, uh, David Ross mentioned yesterday, it just lengthens the, the lineup, which is great. And you alluded to it. I mean, they're the only team in the division with a positive run differential, and it's plus thirty six. So it's not it's not Atlanta's plus one forty six, yeah. but it is you know it is the outlier in this division because everyone else has a a, a, a negative number, and that's why the Cubs should be sitting at fifty three and forty five, expecting one wins and losses versus forty seven fifty one. But at home, they're twenty six and twenty six. Away from uh, Wrigley, they're they're a sub five hundred team, twenty one twenty five. And against teams with winning records, 25 and 39. So even if you win the division, where are you going? You can't beat good teams. You're, you're not, not even close, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just been a weird up and down year, streaky, uh, you know, positive streaks, losing streaks. And, and it just, it, it, they can be entertaining. They can have a game like yesterday where they're just getting, getting in the box and putting the barrel on the ball and going and, it's fun, and again, beating the Cardinals and and you know 
you can enjoy that for the day or, or a series or whatever. But realistically, where are you going here? So I, I, either side of town, I, I, we talked to Jesse. I'm like, why, why are you waiting? And, and last week I said, Dylan Cease, you know, I suppose is an untouchable. But I, the way things are going for the White Sox, I don't think anyone should be untouchable. I just don't. I think you you answer every call with an open mind. And given the heavy lifting you have to do in particular with the White Sox, I, I can't sit here and say, well, Luis Robert and Dylan Cease don't don't even, you know, mention them to me. I, you know, move on. Let's start a different conversation. Why not? Why not? Why not hear what people have to ask and, and say? Because you're now at season lows and, 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 you know, in terms of where you are in the vision and what your wins and losses are. It's, and here we are a week away from the trade deadline. Don't worry. We've got plenty of time to roll up our sleeves and uh, talk socks here coming up. Uh, the Cubs conclude their series against the St. Louis Cardinals here uh, today before they uh, go ahead and square off against the White Sox in the Crosstown Classic, the two-game affair. That gets going on Tuesday, So, uh, but the Cubs will wrap up their series against the Cardinals today with Jamison Tyon on the mound. And uh, we'll see if they continue to have uh, those uh, delusions of grandeur and a uh, possible National League Central title if they somehow, some way, win today, what they'll actually do. I think Jed Hoyer knows that, um, in all reality, this team is not really good enough and likely, you know, likely to compete in the playoffs. So I think, I, if anything, Jed's probably looking at this situation and saying, boy, you know, if he was being honest, Bry, I think it'd probably be easier for the Cubs to lose a couple here ahead of the trade deadline so he doesn't have to after you know they make whatever trades they make and have to explain away why you know they traded Cody Bellinger and Marcus Stroman at the deadline when they were quote still in it right like I, I think well, it would yeah, make it, it mean, would make his public uh, conversation easier well I just I, I just I I give cup fans I know people laugh at cup fans and, and as long as the beer is cold and the sunshine is warm and everything I give more credit for that uh, than that. Mm-hmm. I don't think you have to lose a couple more to explain. Anyone who's looking at this and is a baseball fan and a realist knows where this team is and what its possibilities are. And to me, that's not even you don't have to sugarcoat anything. It's just this is what it is. And you're sellers. You're, you were sellers two weeks ago. You're certainly sellers today, and I expect you to be sellers August 1, no matter what happens between now and then. Yeah, it would certainly be surprising if they're not. 312-332-3776 if you want to jump in talk some Cubs with us. We'll also turn our, our attention to the South Side. The Southsiders were in Minnesota last night. They lost 3-2, to two, and Lucas Giolito was interviewing with Jason Benetti on Fox and Eric Karros yesterday in-game. Did he do his teammate dirty yesterday? I'll let you hear, and you decide next. If you miss something, get the podcast on the ESPN Chicago app. This is ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. Miller and Hanley with you till 11 o'clock here on ESPN 1000. And while things were good on the north side yesterday for the Cubs as they beat the Cardinals 8-6, to there is, I don't think anybody can be delusional about the White Sox. Another loss to the Twins yesterday. They lost 3-2 to two last night. And we'll get to, although, you know what, I say that, Bri, and maybe I, I'm getting ahead of myself because it sounds like maybe Pedro Grafal is still delusional. We'll get into that in a moment here. But first, I have to ask you. So Lucas Giolito 
did the in-game interview on Fox last night. Jason Benetti and Eric Karros were on the call. And I found it interesting because on one hand, I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, this certainly could be Lucas's last, you know, public interview as a member of the White Sox. Now, I'm not saying it is, but it certainly could be because obviously he is going to be he should be the first guy the White Sox are looking to deal because he should have the most value. But I was wondering, you know, did he do his current teammate dirty and Luis Robert? He was asked by Eric Karros. How do you approach pitching to one of the best hitters in baseball? And he spilled the beans, Bri. So we're talking about your teammates now. How would you attack Luis Robert Jr. if you had to pitch against him? How do you go after him? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, A lot of high fastballs. uh, Trying to make a lot of pitches look like strikes that aren't strikes. Because Lou has, like, power all through the zone. So, you know, you could throw him. Very nice. There's that good slider. So you could throw him a really good, like, in-zone breaking ball, like, to the bottom corner away, and he'll still go reach out and hit it for a home run. I've seen that multiple times this year. Um, So for him, it's all about you got to move the ball around and and make a lot of balls look like strikes when he swings at him. (laughs) If you heard, he started it with a lot of high fastballs, and sure enough, how did the game end? Well, Minnesota Twins closer Johan Duran with a 103-mile-per-hour heater up in the zone. On one and two. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Minnesota clings to a win over the White Sox and takes the series with a chance for a sweep tomorrow. Yeah, the White Sox eat. So there you go. White Sox lose 3-2 to two last night. Luis Robert with an opportunity to maybe do some damage and try and tie the game there, but uh, wasn't able, was unable to. Did Lucas Giolito, though, uh, break the code there of uh, basically giving the full scouting report on how to get his, his teammate hitter out? Well, I mean, kudos to Eric Carroll's asking a question that got a pretty good answer for mm-hmm. an in-game interview. Usually you don't get anything of substance, right? And Lucas Giolito really is, by everyone who covers the team, uh, you know, guys on the beat love talking to Lucas Giolito because he's a very thoughtful uh, baseball player and and analytical and, and, you know, knows what he's looking at. I would hope that on the major league level, especially with Mm. the division-leading twins, their advanced scouts have, have that idea that high heat would be the way to go. But... To, to Lucas's point, I mean, Luis, Luis Robert Jr., uh, he hits mistakes, and he can hit them, hit them far and hit them hard. And, but, yeah, it, it, was, it was interesting, and that was interesting that that came into play for the final out of the game. Yeah, no, and obviously that's tongue-in-cheek because you're right. Like, the Twins have advanced scouts, and they know exactly. They have a plan of attack for Luis Robert, who's been by far and away the, the White Sox best hitter all season. So that should go without saying. But So that was certainly tongue-in-cheek on my part. But you do wonder, like... A, Honest to a fault in some ways for Lucas Giolito yeah. there because, like, you could easily just go with, you know what, man? I don't know how you get him out. He's so good as a teammate. You know what I mean? Like, it's you just throw that out there. It's an well, easy it's, answer. It's, uh, you know, it's why Bull Durham, you know, the, the, exactly. here, here are the cliches. Here, you know, memorize these. You know? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, baseball, usually baseball managers and, and veteran players, I mean, they don't want anything to do with actually answering a question that would have some substance to it. Yeah, so I, uh, I listen, and I love Lucas Giolito. I'm going to be sad to see him go. I do expect him to go because it doesn't make any sense just as we were talking about Cody Bellinger last segment it doesn't make any sense for the White Sox to hold on to him when they don't 
you know, they don't have him signed um, to a long-term contract, even though it seems like he was more than willing to try and get a deal done. This has been the White Sox MO for, I don't know, going back to basically since Jerry Reinsdorf took over ownership of the team, right? Like they do not sign pitchers to big money, long-term deals. They, they, just, they when I covered them in the nineties uh, full time, they didn't want to go more than three years. I told, I, I've told the story before that um, when Greg Maddox was mm-hmm. a free agent and, and the Yankees were, Gene Michael was driving him around uh, Long Island. Yeah, Stick, Stick Michael. Dri- I love that nickname. Yeah, yeah, Stick. He was driving Greg Maddox up the long you know, Long Island, trying mm-hmm. to find him a nice uh, palatial palace to to live with the when he was going to wear Yankee pinstripes. Mm-hmm. And Atlanta had a five year. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was. It like was thirty five you know, or something. I don't know. Forty five million, maybe, maybe something yeah. like that. And Ron Schuler, bless him, as he was lighting up his in between cigarettes down when we were the winter meetings in Louisville. <laughs> And uh, we were talking about free agency, and he said, well, you know, we're, we're in on Maddox. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. He's, well, well, we're in on Greg Maddox. And I'm like, well, you know, what do you mean? Because that, that, at that point, they weren't given more than three-year deals. And yep. both the Yankees and the Braves had five-year substantial deals mm-hmm. for the time on the table already. And I'm like, well, you're not in on Maddox because, again, <laughs> yes. three three years, not as good as five years. No. <laughs> just but, they, I mean, that's how long and how far back the White Sox philosophy. And, and sometimes it pays off. And, and it was about as much about injury as it was about, you know, financial guaranteed money. It was just like they didn't believe that you tie up pitchers in particular that long because the chance are, chances are that you pitchers could get hurt and maybe even career-ending injuries. So, And one thing about Greg Maddox, when, when I was covering the Cubs and he was with the Cubs, going back to Lucas Giolito, you know, Knowing what he's looking at, even when it's teammates, and how you you would uh, approach uh, pitching to a guy like Luis Robert, the smart young pitchers with the Cubs mm-hmm. would sit next to Greg Maddox the yes. day he was charting pitches before one of his starts, mm-hmm. and they would just pick his brain of and course. watch him. I mean, if you if you had a brain cell working, you want to be sitting next to that guy and asking him questions while he was charting pitches to get ready in preparation for a start the the following game. Um, and, you know, and that, that's how, you, you know, when you have assets like that and leaders like that and veterans like that in your clubhouse, you, you'd be really smart to utilize and, 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 you know, clean as much as you can from them before they move on. The uh, Braves inked Greg Maddox to a five-year, $28 million deal, and he went on to win uh, the next three Cy Young Awards. And, yeah. of course, the Braves won their uh, – their lone championship in the 90s with Greg Maddox in 1995. Um, the White Sox did learn their lesson, though, because a couple years later, they inked Jamie Navarro to a four-year deal, Bry. So. See, you don't, you don't want to break that rule. Sometimes you break the rule and it doesn't do you, know, do you well. Yeah, so, so Lucas Giolito, uh, in all likelihood, will be dealt at the deadline. Would be really surprised if he's not. See, you know. break the rule for Greg Maddox. Don't break it for Jamie Navarro. Yes, exactly. That, that's what you would learn then. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. All right, so Pedro Grafal, though, did have some interesting comments. And I, you know, said maybe he is delusional because, uh, you know, we can squint and kind of, again, you and I don't think they should, but you can squint and kind of see, like, how if you're the Cubs, you would talk yourself into trying to make a run at it if you wanted to be very bold and you wanted to cling well, to if the- I was if I was making a beer snake, a beer cup snake in the bleachers, uh, maybe I would squint and there talk you myself okay. into it, but no. But 
if I'm the White Sox, I can't even I, – I, I'm blind. I cannot find a way where I can talk myself into them being in contention. They're now 11 games back. The last two games have cemented it. In, in, again, I came in saying on Friday night you had to sweep the Twins, and even that didn't do anything. But that was the only way you could make a plausible argument to stay in this. But interestingly enough, Aloy Jimenez, who has been – all season long, right? He's been out, you know, out there, um, you know, at, at different points throughout the season playing right field. That has been an ongoing discussion about how much he should be playing the field. He clearly, you know, looks like he has been, you know, hampered with the leg issue that's that he's been dealing with. Um, he was the DH last night, but he was, you know, he's been not running as hard as, you know, it, it seems like it's we're back to the Tony La Russa era, right? Where, the do not run list. Yes, yes, exactly. Now, Pedro Grafal was asked in the post-game press conference last night after the game about Eloy Jimenez just looking like, you know, he can't move um, the way you would expect him to. And this was Pedro Grafal's comments. Quote, I'm glad you mentioned that because he's not running down the line and I choose to put him in there with that kind of effort down the line. I want his bat over his legs. I want to make sure I get that out there clearly for everybody. I chose his bat over his legs. That's all he can give us. I'll continue to monitor that. And if I think it becomes a problem for us where he's going to get hurt or compromise us in any way running the bases, then I'll make a change. But for right now, I'm choosing his bat over his legs. And then follow-up question. So day off tomorrow, tomorrow, of course, being today, Sunday, Pedro Grafal. I'm not giving him a day tomorrow. He's playing tomorrow. We've got to win that ball game tomorrow. That's Pedro Grafal for your 11 and 59 Chicago White Sox who take on the 52 and 48 Minnesota Twins today, 11 games back, just a week or so ahead of the trade deadline. Your thoughts, Brian? Must win today, 41 and 59. Must win today because you're still in this thing. This whole, I mean, we saw Luis Robert earlier in the season with, the lack of effort down to first base, and he was still nursing an injury, and Pedro Grafal was either not aware of it, and you know he mm-hmm. talked about lack of effort, and people were booing, and, and it goes back, like you just said, to La Russa, when I never have heard of a do-not-run list. You know, It's not do-not-resuscitate, it's, it's do-not-run, and he explained, well, on a routine grounder, and again, routine grounders turn into errors sometimes. Sure. <laughs> it, but I, I mean, I understand the bat over the legs, but he wants to get it out there because he doesn't want anyone saying, well, why isn't Aloy busting his tail down to first trying to, to beat out a ground ball, right? Mm-hmm. Because Let's get it out there. I, I I don't want him further injuring himself. And yet, I, I mean, we don't have a lineup yet. Not yet. We know Eloy's in, though. <laughs> okay. I, 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 <laughs> I, if I was Rick Hahn, I might have a you know conversation with Pedro about whether he's in or not, because it's not a must-win game. And it's a groin injury, and he's had other injuries. I, I just, I would, and if he's truly on the, the four guys who are, are in the no-trade uh, list, mm-hmm. then you need to preserve Malloy's baseball future and everything else. And I think it's much more in, in everyone's interest to get him healthy and 100% as soon as you can. And today is not must-win. You don't need his bat or his legs. You, you do the right thing and the prudent thing, and you take care of the player, and, and he'd be sitting in the dugout or the clubhouse getting treatment if I was running the show. But I'm not, so there you go. Yeah, it just it just goes to show, though, how compromised they are from a roster construction point. You know, this has been an ongoing discussion all season long. Uh, you know, Aloy 
Yeah, I agree. Like, I love when his bat's in the lineup. Honestly, the problem, the problem is he shouldn't be playing as much right field as he's been playing all year. This just right. goes back to what we've, we talked. You and I were talking about this, you know, in March when Aloy was talking about, you know, wanting to come in and play right field and, you know, how he was in the, you know, in great shape and lost all this weight. And yep. that's fine and dandy. But the reality is he's, he's proven to them he cannot stay healthy when he's playing the field. And so, the, the sooner that the White Sox come to the realization that he's a designated hitter, fine. You want to play him in right field once a week, maybe? Maybe I can have, you know, a conversation about that where you can get other guys the occasional DH. But unfortunately, Aloy Jimenez cannot stay healthy. He's proven it time and time again. And at this point, we're moving to the stage of his career where he doesn't even have young legs anymore. He, you know, he's in the prime of his career. The legs are going to start to get shot as you get older, and you're going to have to manage those to begin with. So, I don't know. It's just it's been a, an ongoing problem that started back in March or February when he was talking about playing the outfield and the White Sox were open to that idea. They have put themselves in a spot now where Pedro Grafal needs to defend him playing in a game that, uh, you know, it was must win 20 games ago, not must win on Sunday, well, July 23rd. And, and if it must win, uh, as, as we sit here on the Sunday, with the fan graphs playoff possibility, probability, can you take a stab at what it might be? For the White Sox? Yeah. I haven't looked it's, it's recently. It's not a blue Tarski. It's not zero. Uh, yeah, I was, zero. Uh, I'm going to say 0.6. Very well done. 0. 0.5. Okay. And I believe there are four teams with the blue Tarski, the 0. 0.0. And we know, you know, the Kansas Cities and Oakland's uh, of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but 0. 0.5, I don't like your odds. Yeah. I, 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 if it was a 50% chance, maybe this is must win. So if you want to, you know, invert those two numbers and get rid of the decimal, I'm with you. 0.5, a 41.59, 18 games under, 11 games out of this so-called winnable division, and you have three teams you'd have to leapfrog. Go get them. 0.6. Not great, Bry. Not great. 312-332-3776. If you want to chime in and talk a little bit of baseball with us, we'll also turn our attention to the Bears as well as they report on Tuesday. Got uh, some Justin Fields conversation coming your way. We've also got uh, Kevin Warren puts under the microscope long, extensive profile done by Dan Weeder in the Chicago Tribune. And um, love Dan's deep dives. Always does a great job. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Give us a call. 312-332-3776. Mellon Hanley on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. Do, da, dip it. You can go with this or you can go with that. You can go with this or you can go with that. I think it's with this because this is kind of fat. Jeff Mallard, Brian Hanley hanging out with you till 11 o'clock today. White Sox pregame coverage starts at 1230. Ahead of a uh, 110 first pitch, White Sox and Twins, your home for White Sox baseball here on ESPN 1000. Also your home for the Chicago Bears starting this season. So uh, your first uh, Bears action as the Bears reports to camp on Tuesday. First practice is 10 o'clock on Wednesday. That's a closed practice, so the uh, public cannot go and see that one. But that will be the first practice of the year. Brian, before we get to the Bears, I'd like to uh, take a call on the White Sox here. Owen is in Willowbrook, wants to chime in. What's going on, Owen? You're on with Meller and Hanley. Good morning, guys. Um, hey, I don't understand why Jimenez would be on the no-trade list. I, you know, the guy plays less than 100 games a year. He's always hurt. You guys just said he can't give an effort. 
Um, he really doesn't have a position to play. Um, I'm, t- I'm tired of seeing first and second baseman playing right field. I think the only three guys that should be on that no-trade list are Cease, Roberts, and I do like the Benedetti. I think the guy actually does not epitomize what the Sox are. He makes contacts. He plays defense. He's consistent day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Those three guys would be on my no-trade list. And then the last comment is I don't trust Han as far as making trades. Uh, you got to do it. Um, but I'm just hoping that he can find a general manager that likes what Khan does. Because the, I, I always go back to Tatis for Shields. I mean, yeah. Lynn, Lynn looks like he can't really bring you much. But, you know, if you look at, if you look at uh, the Shields trade, two games before Shields got traded to the side. Yes, 11, right? Was it 11 and runs? Or was yeah, it he gave up a ton of runs. The owner blasted him, and what does Han do? Uh-huh. He trades Tatis for Shields. No, the, this guy has been the worst thing for the Sox since the day he started as GM. And I, and I think he might be the worst GM in all sports. Good call, well, Owen. Great recall, too. Okay. You know, and Bry, uh, he brings up the, the, the reason that Tatis trade drives me crazy whenever I go back to it. Forget the fact that Fernando Tatis has turned into, you know, an MVP caliber player. Let's set aside, obviously, the PED suspension. But the, when the White Sox made the move to add James Shields, they weren't in real contention to begin with, right? And you didn't quite know what you had in Fernando Tatis, but obviously you were giving up a lottery ticket for a pitcher who, as Owen pointed out, had just gotten drubbed. In his, it was his Shields' worst start ever. The White Sox needed somebody to eat some innings that season, and they went ahead. And I can't remember. I'll have to go back and look at baseball reference to find exactly how many games out they were. But they really weren't real contenders at that moment, and they end up, Every once in a while, if you give up that lottery ticket and then that lottery ticket hits, you look foolish. And, you know, that's that's the problem was what they were trading for at the time wasn't worth what they were giving up. The lottery ticket was still worth keeping on the roster, especially when, and you know, I say lottery ticket, but the reality was they didn't know what exactly what they had in Fernando Tatis Jr., but... They clearly saw something when they signed him, right, to an international deal, and they never really, it's been the White Sox, you know, their Achilles heel now for, for the last 15 years or so, their inability to scout and develop players. Well, and if there was ever uh, any more of a misnomer than Big Game James, what you know, the Sox version, um, you know, that didn't turn out. But to be fair, mm-hmm. and, and Owen's right, I mean, I, I, Aloy Jimenez wouldn't be on my no trade list, but it's a moot point given his injuries at this point, right? I yeah. mean, I don't know what if you did move him or had an inkling to move him, what would you be getting for a guy who's been mostly in and out of the lineup the last couple of years and really is a DH? Um, so it, you know, it's I don't, I again, I, I wouldn't put him on, on, but the reports are there are four guys on that list. To be fair though. Rick Hahn turned Jose Quintana into Dylan Cease and Aloy him, him, uh, Jimenez, who are two of the four on the no-trade list, right? Mm-hmm. So every GM has the ones they wish they had never done, uh, you know, C. Ryan Pace and, and Mitch Trubisky, um, you know, whether it's drafting or trading. And most GMs have uh, uh, at least a few in the win column that are like uh, – uh, Dylan Cease was the, the throw-in in that deal, Right. It was. It was. Everyone's like you were giving up one of your top prospects in Roy Jimenez for Jose Quintana, and by the way, the White Sox said you know we wanted Dylan Cease, and Theo and Jed said okay, sure. And how'd that work out on the North side? So, 
you know, to be fair, sure. they're, they're, they're the glaring mistakes, and there's also the the ones where they just absolutely are laughing all the way back to the bank because of the haul they got. Yeah, no, that, that that's true. Like, you do this long enough, and you're going to have those ones that you deeply regret. I, you know, it was just, that's one of those trades where it was, you know, when you, for me, when I, and I admit that, right? Like, I, I'm okay, I understand that you do this job long enough, and you will eventually have some trades that you just, there's, you know, that's the name of the game. That is part of the gig. But that one was the process was wrong, in my opinion, right? Like sure. you don't well, like no, that's where absolutely valid, absolutely valid. Yeah, and so that's where you, it kind of drives you crazy. I'll be curious to see if I, you know, I, I have to imagine they're going to do everything they can to offload Lance Lynn, who who has been decimated by left-handed hitters all season long. I don't know honestly what you're going to get for him. I think their best move might be, you know, if you know, it seems like the Reds are, are a team that's been rumored because. It, They've they've clearly put together an exciting young lineup full of hitters, but they don't have much pitching to help complement that. So they're easily a match, and it would seem like you know if if the Reds are serious and they want to you know try and trade for someone like Lucas Giolito, well you know I, I would think package Lance Lynn up with Lucas Giolito to a team like the Reds, who probably can use every arm they could get, and maybe just maybe you know. You know, get that extra bump in prospect because Lance Lynn's not going to bring, you know, much back on his own. No. And and look, and some of the the underlying numbers, uh, certainly the four home runs the other day didn't help. But we talked about last week, St. Louis was mentioned that, you know, they wouldn't mind his veteran leadership. (laughs) Take him. Yeah, right. Uh, But I'm with you. If you package him, you might get a little something as a sweetener. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, uh, this week, uh, MLB.com did their five under-the-radar type uh, deadline deals. Mm-hmm. And Lance Lynn, two of, the White, two of the five were White Sox players. Lance Lynn was one of them. I don't know how much under-the-radar we've been talking about for weeks. Yep. That, you know, you, obviously well, with the team, <laughs> team option of $18 million next year. He's under the radar because here he's over six, you know. So it, yeah, like, exactly. like yeah. nobody's and, really like, oh, give me Lance Lynn. And the first inning numbers, he's the worst pitcher in baseball in the first inning. I mean, if you get out of the first inning with only, you know, instead of four or five runs, only a couple, you may have got something going. Mm-hmm. But there are some other, you know, uh, second-tier numbers that, that at least argue he's still got something left. And he might be one of those guys, too, that the old, quote-unquote, change of scenery, all of a sudden the old war horse, uh, the old veteran racehorse gets a sniff of the, the finish line with a playoff team. Maybe he figures it out again. But... That said, uh, Joe Kelly was the other guy on the yes. list, mm-hmm. and he's coming off. Uh, he's off the uh, injured list now, and you know, I, I, I there are no let, let him throw one inning, Bry, and then they ship him out of town so he doesn't seriously. re-injure himself. It, it, seriously, but there will be teams that, that look at his you know advanced statistics and say there's something there too. Mm-hmm. Again, not not earth shaking returns by any stretch of imagination, but something, right? Something so. Again, that's why I would make I could make the case that you want to do something substantial beyond Lucas Giolito. I'm, I'm, and I know people are going to you know go crazy. Dylan sees everyone's on. Everyone could be part of a conversation. I, it doesn't hurt to listen. I, I I can't go in to August or get closer to August first with this. I don't talk about these guys. What what, what does it hurt to listen until someone you know blows you away with a deal and. And and off you go. You've got a lot of heavy lifting here. I mean, this is no longer just a small sample size. This is last year and this year, and mm-hmm. this year is supposed to be better, and it's actually worse. 
Um, back to Lance Lynn for a moment. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the, I think he might be somebody who at this stage of his career would really benefit from a team that would employ a left-handed opener, right? Like, cause that's the one thing I'm telling you, like, like you look at the splits and he can get right-handers out at a high rate. I think what you need to do if you're a team who actually did like, there could be some value there if you're open to the idea of, all right, we're going to throw, you know, a lefty opener out there who might go an inning or two, make you set your lineup against him. And then we're bringing Lance in. And now listen, that, that would require some buy-in from Lance Lynn, and obviously his personality would not lead you to be believe he's you know someone who would be like okay I'm not going to be a starting pitcher but like so it would certainly require perhaps a leap of faith in this instance but if you look at the numbers like he can get right-handers out all day long Bri it's the left-handers that have absolutely just demolished absolutely. him and so like like a forward-thinking team could like you know say hey. And maybe the, maybe the Rays, you know what I mean? The Rays clearly need pitching help because they've been decimated by injury. Maybe they'd say, hey, Lance, come on over. Try and help us you know, win our first World Series in the organization's history. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to send a lefty out there. The lineup's going to be set. And now you're going to be you know, set up for the best possible success going forward. Um, so I do think there could be a little bit of value there. Uh, 312-332-3776. Uh, we could address Cease and also plenty of Bears conversation coming your way as well in the 10 o'clock hour as they report to training camp on Tuesday. He's Hanley. I'm Meller. This is he. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN Chicago. that the White Sox should be open to any conversation regarding trading players. Dylan Cease, of course, their probably most valuable asset. Of course, I say that, I, I, I would think the pitching over Luis Robert would be, but nevertheless, you know, you should always be at least open to the conversation. In fact, there, you know, I think anybody would tell you if you're in professional sports, there's literally nobody who is untradeable. Like it just, you know, Babe Ruth got traded. Exactly. That's always, you know, that's always the default. I, I'm not saying you're the likelihood that you, you would get an offer that would wow you is probably very minimal. Um, with even with Dylan Cease, Mm -hmm. but if someone did, then, then I'm all ears, but I, I know that Rickon probably can't afford the, the PR hit that would take because it would take years to figure out what you did get in return for Dylan Cease and whether yeah. it was a good move or not. So it, it's not going to happen. But I hate this uh, a team that's uh, 18 games under today and and as far as 11 out of a of a bad division, arguably the worst division in baseball. That that you would have untouchables. You just, you just can't. I mean, uh, but but that doesn't mean I'm out there shopping him and making the call saying, hey, you know, I got a pretty good guy here, pretty young, under mm-hmm. control, what, what, you know, what are you here from? I'm not doing that. It's not going to happen, but I just, given where the White Sox find themselves, mm-hmm. I, 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 there are no untouchables in my world. That's just the way it is. Yeah, I, I, again, if anything, the conversation might open the door to a possibility in December at the winter meetings. Like, that seems to be, like, if you're, if you're really going to trade Dylan Cease, that would seem the most likely uh, time that they would make it happen because you want to open 
up the Dylan C sweepstakes to every team in baseball. You wouldn't want to, you right, know, not just contending keep, teams. Right yeah, now. because he yeah. would he would immediately be one of the you know most sought after players available on, on the trade market. So I, but you're right. Like have those conversations now. Maybe lay a little bit of groundwork and see how how valued he valued he would be at this time. And then again, like you can look back and say, okay, well, when they made the Chris Sale deal, when they made the Adam Eaton deal, when they got back you know, what at the time were believed to be, you know, a good return. They did so at the GM uh, meetings in December because, again, every team was kind of in on it at that point. I think that would be the time when the White Sox would move Dylan Cease. But, again, that would mean he's not untradeable or untouchable. Well, and look, again, with the PR hit, no, nothing's a secret anymore, right? So even if Rick Hahn had exploratory conversations with other GMs, other teams, that's true. Building, if that got out now, one, you know, you'd have issues with Dylan Cease, most likely, or but you certainly would. would you have though? It with, would Dylan would, would Dylan Cease well, really I be mean, offended, or would he? Uh, you know, well, I mean, it, it depends. You know, if, if he's just a bottom line guy and knows what you know how baseball works, yeah. he might not be. And for all I know, he might actually like the idea of going to a team that seems like it can contend for something this year and moving on. Um, but Rick Hahn couldn't afford. For that to no. leak, and and everything leaks right now. So there's not, uh, there's it, it's not happening. But again, like Owen said, how's the lawyer Jimenez reportedly on the? It's a moot point with his physical condition, his injuries. But when you're in this situation that the White Sox find themselves in and put themselves in, I don't have a list of untouchables. I just don't. Yeah, yeah. If anything, you know, I don't think Eloy's untouchable he's probably untradeable because his value his value has hit probably an all-time low as a player in this league and you would want you know to give him the opportunity to build his value back up especially when you have him under contract and he is a middle of the order hitter if anything you you go back to spring training next year you let Eloy DH and then you let him put together a somewhat healthy season where he has consistent at bats and then you see what kind of numbers he can provide and then all of a sudden next season at the trade deadline you can say okay you know he's built his value back up again but um, right now it's just a spot where it doesn't make any sense for the White Sox I think to trade Aloy because well, in a perfect I, no, world he's he's helping you win something. Yes, next year. of course, of course. Yeah, yeah but um, yeah, at this point though, I don't think anybody's going to bully you over with an offer for no. Aloy that would make it you know sensible for you as an organization to no. deal him. He's Brian Hanley. I'm Jeff Meller. Coming up in the ten o'clock hour, lots of Bears conversation coming your way. A little bit of NFL as well. I'd like to talk about the running back position and the stir that it has been created across. The uh, league amongst the elite players, apparently, I guess they had a Zoom call meeting last night, Bri, amongst 10 or so of the elite running backs in the league to try and have a conversation about what they do. What, yeah, what the hell happened to our position? To and get paid. Yeah, um, I'd like to talk about that. So we'll. Uh, and, and, and you mentioned uh, the Dan Weeder yes. extensive deep dive into Kevin Warren, a, a terrific read in Chicago Tribune, ChicagoTribune.com. Mm hmm. Uh, one of the things you learned is that the the first one of the first order uh, of business for the uh, new president of the team is to interview every single employee, full or part time, within the organization within Hallis Hall, and he has a three question interview that he provides the questions uh, beforehand for each employee, so they come in whatever they're a lot of time. He wants answers to minimum those three questions. And they're interesting questions, and, and maybe we could have our listeners uh, answer some of those questions to, and, and won't limit it to the Bears because 
there are a lot of teams in town that need some help. We will do that. We'll dive into the extensive piece by Dan Weeder on Kevin Warren, the Bears team president, the new team president, and the three questions he has been asking every employee of the team. We'll share those with you next in two short minutes on ESPN 1000.